Welcome to Hit Your Second Shot First with Paul Horton, the PGA of Canada's National Teacher of the Year and National Coach of the Year. I'm Bruce Dobigan here with the man who's also been selected among the top 50 elite junior coaches in the United States. In these podcasts, we're exploring everything from the inner game of golf to the latest innovations in equipment and to the influencers who shared Paul's unique approach to golf. Hope you had a chance to find episode one on the PGA of Canada's website. It's also on my website, notthepublicbroadcaster.com. We'll give you links to both a little later in the show. In episode two, well, we finally have good weather in Canada to open the courses across the country, so let's head to the teaching tee. We'll be talking about other coaches and instructors and how to prepare for a season of teaching. In Paul's pointers, he'll give us a little guidance on whether we should be getting the new equipment, junking the old stuff, or maybe just upgrading a little bit for an expensive putter, perhaps, or a driver. Then in playing the field, I'll ask Paul to assess the performance of Canada's top PGA and LPGA players on the tour as they head into the unofficial major called the Players' Championship at Ponte Vedra, Florida. Yes, the 17th hole. With that, let's bring on Paul Horton. Thanks, Chris. Good to be here. Nice weather, eh? Finally, we have some weather that we can play golf. Yeah, long time coming, but well received. Now, one of the things you and I talk about all the time, of course, is, is how to train students. But you also have another job, which is training other coaches and instructors. What goes into your advice to those people who are working on the range at clubs with members? What advice do you give them, and how do you how do you deal with them that's different from the average player? Well, I think all great teachers, they, they entertain, they educate, and they motivate. Um, so I, I want to inst- entertain. What do you mean by entertain? Well, it's I think on the the lesson T, it's, it's about building relationships and um, having some camaraderie with your student, and, and whether it's uh, some jokes here or there, but you just want to lighten the mood so that everybody's relaxed, yeah. and I think it helps the helps the players um, just settle down a bit. Some of them are nervous if they're coming out for the first time and yeah, they don't yeah. know you, so you need to to ask questions and have them settle down. Yeah. So if you're talking to a guy who or a woman who wants to make their living as an instructor, and it is a people business. That's what you're talking about. It's a people business. Not everybody. Some people are, are, are you know, Tiger Woods. Some people are Jack Nicklaus. And then there's some people who are a little Patrick Reed, who are a little more introvert. How, how do you instruct somebody who maybe isn't as comfortable with the personal side? Well, you, you definitely need to learn how to, how to read people. Um, and, and how to improve your communication skills. And, and so I would be, um, you know, in terms of building a re- relationship is, um, you know, how to, how to ask questions and how to listen, how to become an innovative thinker. You know, you've got to learn how to say the same thing many different ways uh, with the different learning styles. So you have to know who's in front of you and whether they're an analytical type of person or more of a field type of player and, and, and really, uh, you know, move your your communication style in into their learning style and and you need feedback from the student um so you you know when i ask questions i'm i'm looking for feedback from the student whether it's a uh, a feel or whether it's uh, uh you know a technical thing they might be kind of perceiving or, or feeling themselves so it, it really depends a lot on the player and and you need to sort of learn those skills and and a lot of that's through experience so so when you're coaching coaches you're saying the most important thing at the start is listening trying to find out what that person wants and what kind of person is in front of you 
Yeah, I think it's very important. I ask a lot of questions early on, so the interview process in, in the first lesson is critical. Um, you know, what are they there for? Why did they come and see you? Um, why, um, you know, what, what, are, what are their strengths and what are their weaknesses? And, you know, through those questions and answers, you get a sense of, of who they are. Uh, you know, are they an engineer at work or are they something else? Um, and, and really it uh, will help you sort of mold and um, maybe decide what, what the lesson should be all about for that day, whether it's an overview and, and then here's where we're going to start. Here, here are the major issues and this is going to take this much time and so forth. We're going to talk about equipment later, but I guess one of the other things that you have to do when you're standing there is and assessing the student and you're coaching people how to do that is look at what equipment they are using. For sure. Um, you know, usually there's not an issue, but if, if I see, and I'll mention this to the students, if I see uh, a fitting issue, if the club's too long, too short, lie angle not correct, uh, I will uh, certainly bring that to their attention. And, and uh, in most cases, it's not too much of an issue, but I've had some over the years that, uh, had an older couple of years ago that uh, they came, they had two clubs. One was a two iron from the 1940s and, and a, a driver that was a bludgeon driver. And they were brand new players. They really, they had clubs that they couldn't hit. They didn't, most players couldn't hit. So right, right. Um, away I went and got them some rental clubs and, and we were good to go. But, but I have to educate them on, hey, these are infinitely more difficult to hit than, than these clubs you got now. So. Yeah. Uh, one of the things you, you've talked about in the past, of course, is, is the, the people who have been your influences, who you've read, uh, and you've passed those on to students. Who are the people you've read that you recommend to teachers so they understand about teaching? In other words, who are the, uh, are the writers and the philosophers on teaching that you show to other teachers? Uh, there, there's a whole slew of books that I've read over the years, and, and a lot of the books that I would recommend to the young pros out there uh, are really not necessarily related to golf, um, not um, like technical golf books or swing books. They're more about uh, uh, you know how the mind works, how people learn, those kinds of things. Um, I've done a lot of research on a fellow called, he's Dr. Paul Shemp, he's the Director of Sports Instruction uh, Research Lab at the University of Georgia, and it's the only um, facility, that, the only lab in the U.S. that studies how sports are taught. and. He's been doing this for 25 years plus, um, and he's a true expert in the field on how people learn different different sports. And uh, so he's he's an expert on expert teachers. <laughs> and so there's a lot of nuances that, that great teachers have. Um, other books, you know, I read one a few years back called The Talent Code. Um, it's it's really about um, you know why do people get so good at certain sports, be it tennis or music or, or golf. And really the, the talent code is that the coach would, would light the ignition for the student, get them motivated. Um, then there's great coaching. Mm. And, and on top of that is deep practice. Deep practice is just getting more uh, acutely aware of what it is uh, that you're working through and the awarenesses that you have and self-discovery. So self-discovery is always the best lesson, I think. Uh, there's other, many other authors like Dr. Rick Jensen. He's got a couple books, Drive to the Top, Easier Said Than Done. And I know he's spoken at a few of our PGA uh, seminars. Um, there's other mind books on fluid motion factor mm -hmm. by Steve Yellen, um, all about trying to bypass 
the prefrontal cortex and stop thinking about the technique and, and try to tap into your instincts. Uh, there's Dr. Brett McCabe who has a book called Mindside Manifesto. It's, it's again, it's a sports psychology book. Um, and I gravitate to some of that, but there's other books like Finding Greatness, uh, by Michael Gervais, um, you know, The Slight Edge by Jeff Olson. So these books are all about, uh, most of them about sport, but not necessarily golf specific. And it's all about how you can become a better coach and, and teach people better and make it easier for them. What, what's the biggest mistake, or I should maybe say it this way, what's the most consistent mistake you see young teachers make? Uh, I would say without question, it's over teaching. Um, it's a big problem we have and I know uh, it's so easy to do and when I started up uh, many years ago in the early 80s, uh, I was a young kid, thought I knew everything um, and I wanted to disseminate all this knowledge I had to the students and basically it was, you know, I was trying to show them how smart I was at the mm -hmm. time and, and I look back and how dumb I was to do that. Um, so really it's, it's people need you know, small pieces that they can mentally manage. And, you know, through the years, I've seen so many lessons get ruined where you finally get your student uh, hitting the ball better. And they should all hit the ball better in, in the session so they don't have to get worse before they get better. Mm. But, you know, you get them hitting the ball better and all of a sudden you, you say, okay, I'm going to, now I'm going to change this with them. And, and all of a sudden it goes to pot and and they can't hit the ball anymore and then you know they leave with a bad taste in their mouth and, and so it's there's an art to sort of giving them a little bit I kind of uh, use the analogy of building a jigsaw puzzle when I'm looking at player swings and you know when you put a jigsaw puzzle together you've got all the pieces on the table there and you might put the border around first you got all the straight edge pieces and you figure that out so you give them the framework and then you you maybe dive in a little deeper and work on the, the precision of, of what's inside the swing and so forth. But very simple, keep it very short. Sometimes my lessons are, uh, the message is, is come or given across in the first 10 minutes of the hour. And, and after that, it's supervised practice and it's, it's mentoring those people to sort of own what, what they've just learned. Now, when you first began in teaching, almost all of the teaching aids were concrete. They were plastic things and metal things, etc. Tech has completely changed the way we teach uh, the students. You've, you've got to give some advice to the, these teachers who want to be teachers about how to use tech. What's, what's your best advice to them? Well, uh, tech is, is, uh, is a big thing these days. And uh, I, I think the younger pros, I, I would say this is a generalized statement, but the younger pros are maybe too caught up in the tech um, and you, you want to be data informed and, and not data driven. Mm. Um, and a lot of the younger pros might be data driven because of all the, the new technologies with, with, uh, a, a number of different items, track men and so forth. Um, so, you know, I use technology as a second level underneath the human element. So I think it's important to, to have technology. Uh, certainly if I was a club fitter, um, I would, I would, be in need of a launch monitor so I could measure mm. what's going on. So why guess what you could measure? Um, but, you know, t typically, you know, measure the, twice, cut once, right? Exactly. exactly <laughs> yeah. right? So, you know, the question is, is, is it helping or hurting? And it, it obviously helps, but it, if it's abused, it can hurt. Uh, 
Yeah. And so if you're using technology all the time uh, as a as a crutch, it's you're you're not advancing the player. The player's got to get out and and play golf, and uh, you know so. There's a time and space for that, and and again, it's underneath the human element. It's it's important that that if need be, you bring it in, um, in the right amount of uh, of use. Yeah, you're listening to the episode two of Hit Your Second Shot First with Paul Horton, the PGA Canada's National Teacher of the Year, National Coach of the Year. I'm Bruce Dobing, and uh, a couple of things. I I know you teach a lot of young people, uh, but there's also, of course, coaching for women as well. When you're again trying to train young teachers, how do you deal with different situations? Is there a different way to teach young people? And is it, and would there be a different approach as well for women? I think, you know, with, I look at all my competitive players, be it female or male or junior players, I don't see a big difference in the way I approach my coaching to them. And, and again, I'm, I'm coaching the player. Um, and I think it's important to say I, I, I don't teach golf. I teach people how to play better golf. Um, and that's an important statement. Um, you know, Butch Harmon said the same thing years ago, uh, which really stuck with me. Um, obviously there's differences when you teach young kids, uh, you have to speak their lingo. Uh, you have to make it fun and, and interactive and, and engaging as you do for all players. But, you know, especially at those younger ages, you want to keep them moving. Um, their attention spans at a young age are, are, are smaller. Mm -hmm. Um, so you're trying to make it fun in a group group environment. Um, you know, there's issues when you, you talk about different body styles. So women, you know, potentially have, you know, s some things that could get in the way. So large breasted women or, or guys that are, you know, got the beer belly or something <laughs> like that, or, or just, uh, they have their own physical limitations, be it, uh, you know, the, the handicap, I've worked with some handicapped people. So you just have to look at, um, you know, what are the things that are getting in the way from the, the, the norm or the normal direction you might go and how are you going to adapt to that? So you're trying to make what they have better. And if there are some, some physical limitations that could be uh, improved by, uh, you know, a physical fitness program, mm -hmm. you know, that's, that's mentioned where you, maybe you could go see mm -hmm. so-and-so and, and work on these things. And, and it depends how motivated the player is and, so they can either fix them by, by doing some work or, or maybe getting surgery or, or, yeah. or not doing anything and say, well, this is what I got and I'm going to deal with it. Uh, we've, we've both seen lots of bad body, great golfers. There's lots of people out there who have, you quote unquote, the unathletic body and who still golf well. Just this final point on, on, on your working with young teachers. Uh, it's, it, it, I know it's not easy. Uh, there's a lot of people who want to golf and want to be in the golf industry. What's your advice to, to young people? Uh, people who want to teach uh, about how to do it and what to expect. Um, are you talking about making a living at it? Yeah. Um, so there, it's it's not easy for sure. Um, if it was, it'd be many many of us, many more of us doing it. Um, I think that the the top instructors in the country here uh, are likely doing very well themselves. Um, you know, I've been very successful over the years, and but I remember a time when when I was a director of golf at Country Hills back in the uh, early mid '90s, and I was becoming—I I did do a lot of teaching. I taught about 20 hours a week, but I had a heavy work schedule. I was becoming more of a GM than a—you know—I enjoyed being with the people and playing golf and, and working on their games. 
and I didn't like the office work. I was spending too much time on the phone and in my office. And I decided back then to to branch out. I could see a, a change in direction in, in the PGA of Canada in terms of um, areas that one could specialize in. And I always enjoyed teaching and I wasn't sure I'd enjoy doing it you know, 12 hours a day, and as it turned out, I did. But I started off uh, back in 94, opening my own golf academy, and the first couple of years were lean. So uh, my advice to young pros that are wanting to do this uh, more as a full-time thing versus a part-time thing is you really have to be fully committed to the process. Um, so I had many hours at times between lessons in those early years. But once you build a little bit of a reputation um, things really started to snowball for me and, and it got so busy I hired a, a couple of pros um, not long after I started and, and things sort of went from there. So um, you really need to be, uh, you know, c committed to the process, you know, industry's changing so you got to stay on top of industry trends and so forth and maybe look 10 years down the road and what, what do you think is going to happen with with golf in general and the teaching side of it and, and so forth. So um, you also want to do it for the right reasons. You know, people get into it for the wrong reasons. And a lot of pros have, have left our industry uh, for various reasons. But, you know, in the end, you know, people don't buy what you do. They buy why you do it. And uh, I think, you know, Simon uh, Senek, I think his name is, uh, you wrote a book on, you know, I think it was something about why, but but this is where the quote came from. And, you know, you really have to be in it for the right reasons. And people will know, they, yeah. can, they can read if you're, if you're not in it for the right reasons. <laughs> and I guess it helps to have a partner or a spouse who also has an independent <laughs> amount of money in those early years. That doesn't hurt either. That helps too, so uh, <laughs> for sure. I mean, they were lean years, but they were still, there was enough in the kitty there to, to make a, you know, a dignified living and it's, it's improved since then. So it's uh, it's time for Paul's pointers. Each episode, of course, we talked to Paul a little bit about uh, his pointers, what he talks about on the TV earlier. We talked a little bit about equipment and I think everybody was watching a couple of weeks ago and there was uh, Jason day and he's hitting his seven iron, 300, uh, 250 yards and his two iron, 350 yards. And everyone says, look at that new equipment. I, I, I remember last summer, everybody had to have the, the Epic driver or Ping's driver, whatever. And those things seem like a hundred years ago. It's happening so fast. So I guess in Paul's point is I'd like you to give us some sort of guidance as to what the average player should do when he assimilates that information. You see how much further the ball goes for these pros. What does it mean to us and what does it mean to our equipment? Well, it, it, uh, they're the best in the world. They've got a lot of speed. Uh, so they hit the ball at you know, great distances. Um, that certainly doesn't help you if you're trying to hit a seven iron 160 <laughs> yards and it goes 180. Yeah. Um, I remember Lee Trevino once asked his caddy Herman, he said, what's over this green? And Herman said, double bogey. Uh, <laughs> you know, it's, you need to know how far your clubs go. And it's, it's great that Jason Day can hit a seven iron 200 plus yards. But, but does that really, it's all about precision when you're talking irons in, into mm -hmm. uh, different hole locations and, and so forth. So you really need to know uh, the proper gapping with your clubs. I would say if you can find some clubs that, that maybe adds distance to your game, it's, it's a good thing or could be a good thing, provided that you know how far they are going. Um, you know, you don't want too many surprises and, and hit a hot spot on your seven iron and then it goes 20 yards too far. So, mm -hmm. 
Um, it's important to know your game and know your clubs and have the right spacing between the clubs, be between the wedges, between the longer clubs. Um, and a, a good professional will, will help the player sort of understand, you know, whether they should jump into new technology. You know, I had a, a student last week that he's got an older driver. Uh, he went, he had a demo day at the club, uh, tried all this new technology. And, and in the end, you know, they really didn't perform that much better than what he had for him. And, and so he's decided to stay with the old driver. He said, you know, until he finds something that that's uh, worthy of a change. So, um, there's lots of great equipment out there and it's always, uh, seems to be going, you know, longer and straighter and the ball's getting, you know, going juiced up and all that. So it's, uh, you know, know your game and, and know when to make the change. Maybe for you, it's going longer and straighter. But I, there is some wisdom. And if, if you know you're hitting your seven, I don't know, 160 yards, and that's something you can bank on, you know, all of a sudden now you're going into a new realm of, well, okay, I could push it an extra 20 yards. But all that means is I've just sort of changed all of my, my expectations by 20 yards and spent, you know, two or $3,000 on new clubs. Yeah, it's true. You know, it's, it's uh, often when you make a change, it, it can be an immediate uh, positive impact. But it can also take an adjustment period <clears throat> to figure out how far they do go. Um, you know, with with all of my competitive players, it's it's easy for them to hit stock shots. And if your stock seven iron is, let's say it's one sixty, you know, what do you do when you're when you're one fifty three uh, with with wind coming from from behind and off the right? How do you get the player to you know? Do they hit a hard eight? Do they do they you know take some off the seven? So there's there's different ways to take yardage off clubs and uh, I've heard Mickelson talk lots about how he does it. So there's a lot of different ways to do it, but you know, quite often you're not 160 yards from your 155 or your 163 and what's beyond the pin, what's short of the pin. So you need to know, is it better to be short or long and, and make those decisions. And I know from talking to you in the past, you subscribe to the theory. The best thing you can do is go get properly fitted before you start making any experiments with, with new clubs. Don't, don't be fitting yourself. Go and find out what really works for you, right? Absolutely. So there's, there's different heads. If you look at drivers, there's different uh, head designs that, that are lower spinning, higher spinning. Um, the shaft options are, are enormous out there. There's, there's a whole slew of them. And the shafts are really the engine of the club. Mm -hmm. So it's not necessarily the head you're hitting. Uh, but you want to have it matched up with the right shaft and the right kick point. And some shafts are are able to create more spin and some less. And so mm -hmm. you really need, it's a little bit of trial and error to, to see which one might fit you best. Yeah. Uh, every episode, of course, we go through uh, what's going on with some of the uh, PGA Tour pros for Canada, from Canada, and the LPGA pros, of course. Uh, this week, uh, this will be a little bit dated probably by the time some people listen to this, but we're recording this just as the TPC begins at Ponte Vedra. I was talking to you beforehand about having been there and seeing the 17th hole, etc. And it's always a great test of golf, a great field, probably the best field of the year in terms of, uh, of production. Let's talk a little bit about the Canadians coming in. Uh, Adam Hadwin right now, uh, Three top 10 so far this season, top 30 on tour. His game seems to be rounding in shape. Nick Taylor as well, Corey Connors. Let, let, let's start with Adam Hadwin. What, what, what have you liked out of him so far now that we're about a third of the way in through the, uh, the 2018 season? He's had a great year so far. I think he's, he's very consistent in what he does. Uh, so he's a great ball striker, 
not particularly long, but the golf course they're playing this week, uh, he doesn't need length. He needs accuracy and position. Um, you know, he still needs to, to make more one putts, but he's, he's, he's got a good putting stroke and, and, you know, he just needs to get, get on a little bit of a roll there, but, and I expect him to do quite well this week. Um, but he has no weaknesses other than he's not making enough putts. Uh, um, you know, he's, he's making enough putts at, at times, but, uh, his overall putting stats that the amount of putts he's, he's taking is maybe too high and, mm -hmm. Um, so there may be some mental thing in there that that's getting in his way, but I expected things from him. Well, what was the one thing you saw that he put together that finally got him into this region where he's in the top 30? Was there one thing that you saw him be able to change that got him there? I think just overall, he became more consistent, more consistent with ball striking accuracy, uh, more greens and regulation, mm -hmm. um, you know, less mistakes out there and generally the, the player that makes less mistakes wins. Nick Taylor uh, going into the uh, Players' Championship, uh, he was 113th. Uh, not great, but certainly acceptable for him. Give us some sense of how Nick's year's gone, what you're seeing out of him. I think he's off to a decent start so far in the TPC, but anyhow, uh, give us some sense of, uh, of what you think his, his year has been. I think he is probably disappointed with himself, but uh, you know, it's such a tough uh, go out there. There's so many good players, and and I think if he just sticks with it, he just needs to improve in in uh, a little bit in a, in a lot of different categories. So he, uh, I don't think has a glaring weakness, uh, but he, you know, there's not a glaring strength either. So um, I think again, it you know, if he improves his putting, that would certainly help. Um, he's off to a great start. Uh, from what I saw earlier, he was five under early in his round. Uh, hopefully he can carry that through. And the golf course they're playing is uh, something that uh, will test your metal for mm -hmm. sure. Well, I want to talk about Corey Connors too, but you just, uh, that one point, how hard it must be. You said how many great players there are. And you go out on that tee and you think today there's a dozen players who are absolutely, on any day can post low 60s and play great golf. Dustin Johnson, well, I don't have to do the list. Everyone knows who they are. And if you're a player like Adam or you're a player like Nick, uh, I, I guess you've got to be mentally disciplined enough to not even think about them and to just try to stay in your own world. Absolutely, you got to do your thing, and you can't uh, you you can't control what they're doing. You just need to keep working hard and, and keep keep uh, uh, working through the process and, and not think ahead and about the outcomes. And you know, all it takes is a few good weeks, and it changes your year. <laughs> and you know, he's won before, so he's he's got the mindset where he can definitely win. Um, and I expect that uh, his ranking will improve from, from this point forward. So, um, you know, Dustin Johnson, I found out this morning, uh, you know, he's, he's now working with Aimpoint Technologies. He's got a brand new putter in the bag, and, and uh, he's off to a great start as well. So. Well, there you go. You're promoing our next uh, episode because it's all going to be putting in the next episode when we do put number three. And, of course, you know Aimpoint. I was up with a friend this week, and he was doing the Aimpoint thing. He'd been working on it this summer, this winter in California. So we'll talk a little bit about that. Just a final word, quick word about Corey Connors, and then a, a final word maybe about uh, about Brooke Henderson, who uh, who won in the interim since the last time you and I talked. Absolutely. So Corey, again, Corey's not, I don't think he's in the field this week, but um, he just needs to keep keep working hard, and, and same as uh, with Nick. Um, you know, improve the short game a little bit, improve the putting stats, and, um, you know, just just keep a level head and, 
and 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 start keeping the trust that that you have. Trust yourself and what you're doing. And Brooke, Brooke's awesome. She's you know one I think it was three weeks ago or so. So she's number four on the money list. Uh, she's a special talent, and she has uh, she has a great mind because she's she's not afraid to go after it. Um, not afraid to go low and not afraid to win, and, and it doesn't matter the magnitude of the tournament. She's uh, she's the real deal. Yeah, she, she's fearless, and uh, I got to give credit to the women on the LPGA. Man, the travel schedule they put up with the guys—I just can't imagine the guys putting up with the travel schedule they put up with. And for her to do that and travel to Asia and win tournaments, etc. I mean, that's something that's completely not talked about. It isn't, and it takes its toll. You know, there's um, a, a lot of the you know, ladies and the, even the European tour guys that, that come over, there's a lot of travel and, and people don't realize how hard that is to travel across the globe and, and uh, you know, still compete at the highest level. Before we uh, wrap up episode two of Hit Your Second Shot First, I know there's some people you want to recognize, as always, uh, who are instrumental in the work that you do. Yeah, I just want to thank my sponsors and partners, uh, the PGA of Canada, the PGA of Alberta, Heritage Point Golf Club, uh, Nike Golf, uh, Callaway, Aimpoint Technologies, and Blast Motion. As always, thanks to them, and uh, thanks for keeping Paul up and functioning so that we can do these podcasts. They're a lot of fun. Thanks again. It's been great, and uh, think of the putting for the next one. Look forward to it. Thanks, Paul. You've been listening to Hit Your Second Shot First with Paul Horton, the PGA of Canada's National Teacher of the Year and National Coach of the Year. I'm Bruce Dobe again, and we look forward to chatting again. You can find our podcast at the PGA of Canada website. It's also going to be on iTunes, and you'll also be able to find it on my website, notthepublicbroadcaster.com. Till next time, play well. Round, round, round.